Harry, man, I'm glad we're finally actually doing this podcast. Last time we had a date picked last time, but I was in the hospital that day. So yeah, it's crazy how that happened, isn't it? Yeah, but now, so we're up in Lavinio now, and you've been here for a week. Yeah, so we got here on the first, so it's probably ten days now. Yeah, so we've done a fair bit of training, but I came almost directly from Isla, so I could just jump straight into the training anyway. Um, yeah, it's got a big team here. Yeah, you guys have. Well, you're on one pass, I'm on the other, but we're both in Lavinio, and. Uh, you have 15 guys here? Yeah, so we have pretty much everyone that's not going to the tour is in, in training camp here to get ready for either Vuelta or if you're not doing Vuelta, just something else. Okay, and then you were trying to make the tour team. Yeah, year, yeah, so, yeah, well, I was on the long list again for the tour team and then uh, I went up to Lavinia, uh, no, sorry, um, Isola to get ready for that. So I went directly from Dauphiné. I got home at 9 a.m. and then I was up in Isola by like 2 p.m. And I stayed there for two weeks and then I just got the call that I wasn't doing the tour. Um, and I pretty much just went straight back home, had five days off and then came up here. So where are you based in Europe? I'm in Nice. In Nice, oh, okay. Yeah. So did you go, did you know anybody there before you went there? Like, uh, I knew Caleb and I'd never been there before actually. I found my place, like my apartment on Facebook Marketplace and okay. signs at least from Australia and then just I turned, I went from Oz to training camp and then from training camp Caleb and I drove back to Nice and he dropped me off and that was the first time I'd been there. And do you live by yourself or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you just got everything sorted on your, but I mean yeah. I guess there's enough people there to help you. That have yeah, been through but, it, that have done the same thing. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, but like I'd already lived in uh, in Girona for a little bit myself, and then two years before that, I'd lived um, in in Girona. Oh, sorry, in um, where were we? In Lombardia, so like not far from here. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and then so. And then you, well, you're in Isla, you were with Matteo Jorgensen. Uh, the first yeah. time when I, like when we originally meant to record, it was by myself. And then the second time, Matteo and Larry were meant to stay together. And I was meant to go up with one of my other teammates, but he pulled himself off the tour. So I went up by myself. Wait, this is after Dauphiné? Yeah, after right. Dauphiné. And then Larry got um, COVID in Swiss. So okay. Matteo moved into the place with me and then Larry took the place by himself there so he could still be at altitude um, even when he had COVID. So three, there was three of you up there, but you and Matteo were together. Yeah, and, yeah. Was off and then Larry was just quarantining by himself. Oh, man. Well, what was it like training with those guys up there? Ah, uh, super nice. Well, I mean, they're already guys that I train with in Nice at the moment anyway. Okay. Um, but it's, it's lovely up there. It's not like here, though. Like, there's, you wouldn't see anyone. The first time I went up to Isola, I think I saw maybe like two people in two weeks. Really? Yeah, and then the second time, because it was summer and all the passes were open, you'd see like thousands of motorbikes, but like the actual town of Isla is tiny, so okay. yeah, you don't see anyone. And then, so what are you comparing that place to here? Where would you rather come for altitude training? Um, it's hard to say. I think with the team, I would prefer to come here because there's like a lot more to do with a t like a team environment like you can go into town and have a look around but like when i'm by myself like i just go and hike or i was skiing in the afternoon so in like terms of that i way prefer isla because it's more like it doesn't feel like you're on a cycling camp where you just like can't do anything else you know 
Really, dude? Like, look at. I, I mean, I've been hiking in the lakes by my place. Like, there's and there's like Lavinio, like you can walk around and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of the teammates are Belgian. They just like sort of lay in the bed all day and. You can go off do it by yourself. <laughs> I know, but if if it was me personally, I'd prefer Isla because you can go train. It's 24 degrees in the valley, and you can still ski at the same time up in Isla. So. Okay. Yeah, I think the separation's really good, so you can ride like 20 minutes straight down the valley, and it's warm, or you can go up, and it's like five degrees at the top. Okay, all right. I, I ask because I haven't been there, but like yeah. out of all the places I've been to for like training camps and stuff, Lavinia yeah. is so far my favorite. Yeah. yeah, there's so many options here. Like normally when you go to altitude, you don't get this many options. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, in terms of like ways you can go training, it's a lot better than Isla. Isla only has two directions. But apart from that, like I really like being able to just bomb down and you're at six, 700 meters straight away. Whereas here, you're still doing like two, two hours of your training at 2000 meters or something. Do you like that? Um, I don't mind it, but I mean, in terms of like the benefits of going to altitude, it's, it's not really like why you're here, you know, like the benefit is to sleep high and sort of train low. Have you ever tried training high though with it? I have. We actually, funny enough, the first time we came here, we were doing ergo sessions at Carousello 3000 miles with Mitchelton. But I think like for me, the I get the endurance enough when I'm just like training normally. So what I lack is if I'm training at altitude, you don't have like the pressure on the pedals, which is what you get when you're training like slower. Yeah. So that's what I like about it is just actually separating it like you're either high or low and not sort of like riding in between because I think that's really the zone where you can like overdo it and cook yourself. Okay. And so when you were with Mitchelton, you guys were taking turbo trainers to the top of the gondola. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how high is the gondola? Oh, I think it's, it's, it's 3,000, but it's really like two two nine or something. But Where is this? Carousello 3,000, so across the right valley. There? Yeah, you okay. can catch it up. Um, but this was in preparation for King High Lake. So we went, uh, we did okay. two weeks here and then one week in China at 2,800. Then the race started and the race was like, first week was at 3,000. Then the peak of it, we had like a hilltop day 4-2. <laughs> and then we went back down to like 1,500 meters. And then, yeah, so in total, I think it was like six weeks or like 3,000 meters or something. Did you notice any different, like when you come back from that? Oh yeah, it was insane. Like when I came back down to, to altitude, uh, to sea level, it's just like, didn't open my mouth for a week. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And so what were these ergo sessions you were doing? Like you just did in the morning? I think we were, no, we were doing double days actually. We were doing like riding in the morning and then in the afternoon heading up there and doing like three by six strength blocks or something like that. Because um, then you, you then you get both like, you know, you get like the power on the pedals and then, but yeah, I don't know if it really is something that was beneficial or not, but like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. After 4,000 meters in China and all the smog, you see yeah, yeah. lungs of steel. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Damn, man, that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. I've, I've always been curious if like, because I mean, there's not that many places in Europe you could train higher than 2,000 meters. No. But like, I'm, that sounds interesting, like how guys are going to be pushing it and like, yeah five years or so what, what the new thing's gonna be yeah well i've seen a few guys uh even guys from our team the first time they did altitude they stayed on top of stelvio really yeah and they just said like even recovery days they were going like down and back up and they just cooked themselves because like if you're doing recovery day you're still at two two five or something for the whole day so. sure. and it's too much then. yeah okay so that's why they don't go there anymore yeah i think so okay interesting and then so now, you you also posted, a, you have your own YouTube channel, which is really cool. I love following it. Everyone should follow this. But uh, you posted a video of, uh, like, how hard is pro cycling or something yeah. like this, like, going through the stats of the Dauphiné. Is that the highest level you've ever been at, like, fitness-wise? I think so, yeah. I think, but, I mean, before Dauphiné, 
well, way before the start of the season, I was at a peak after Torino and I was like the best I'd been. And then I got really sick. I got that flu that was going around the peloton mm -hmm. and I was easily the sickest I've ever been. Like I was seven days, like didn't leave my bed, my girlfriend like cooking, feeding me. And I had like a, a camel back on my bedside, just like drinking water with my head on the pillow. And then the first day back, I did 50 minutes at like, I think 150 watts and I was like tapped out. So then it was like really just grinding all the way until Dauphiné did another altitude camp before it. And then like hit Dauphiné and was really going well at the start. But like by the end, I was just absolutely bombing. Sure. And then, yeah, when I went up to Isola again after that, it was, yeah, it's for sure the best I've been going. At when you're at Isola yeah. the second time? Yeah. And do, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think you hit such a high level? Is because you were like forced to actually take some rest after a massive peak? Or like, um, did you do anything different in training? Or? I don't think so. I think it was just a... Uh, like a build, you know, like when I first went pro, I was at a, a really good level still and then built up again to like a, the tour last year. And then that put me like a level higher again. And then racing to the end of the year, finished with Roubaix and then like having that rest is what put me up again another level. And then I think just the racing, like I've never really consistently raced that much apart from when I got sick, but I think that's really what sort of stepped me up another level. And then like, a few other adjustments that I made this year, like in my bike positioning. And I think I'm like the first time in the last year and a half, I'm actually really settled in Europe. And I think that sort of like really contributed to just being happy enough to go well, you know? For sure. Well, that's actually a good point. Is, um, the way I heard your name the first time is the Stanley Street Social Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic podcast. <laughs> I heard your episode of it. And then there was one thing, like you said so much stuff that just like resonated with me. Yeah. Just like trying to get yourself set up in Europe. You come here and like, at least for me, it was like you're just putting your face in your hands over and over. Be like, why the hell do they do it like this? Yeah, like, yeah. This, these people are nuts. Why can't they just do it the way we do it? And yeah. then you said one thing, it's like, man, I just started going for walks. Like, I just wanted to make a friend. Yeah. yeah. Like, my <laughs> version of that was I was going crazy my second year, like, being in Austria, looking around. And, like, I love all the other mountain sports yeah. and stuff. And then, but my teammates are looking at me like I'm a madman when I'm talking yeah. about some of this stuff. And I'm like, come on, there has to be some cool people here. Like, look at all the mountains. They love skiing. So I just Googled, like, ski shop near me. Yeah. And just went in there. And that was, like, the first friend I made in Europe. Like, I just had <laughs> coffee and started staring at maps with the ski shop. Yeah. Guy, and then it just went from there. But... Like, how did you find it, like, coming to Europe and setting yourself up? The first three years was honestly, like, it wasn't jumping in the deep end so much because I first came over with the Australian guys as an under-23. Okay. Um, and we, we were based in uh, near Lake Como. So we came, like, as a group of Australians. So that, that... With the national team. Yeah, so that part of it wasn't actually really hard. The part of it that I found hard was, like, actually, like, making a life for yourself because as an under-23, like, you're so in limbo, like, whether you're going to make it pro or not. So, like, I was always ummy and ahhing about, like, whether I should try and, like, buy a car or a scooter. Yeah. So that never happened. And then the only time it happened was when I finally made it pro and I was like, wow, i got to actually invest in having a yeah. life here. And that was sort of how I found it. <laughs> That's that's a really nice way to come over. Like if you can come over and it's like you're not getting thrown right in the deep end, but yeah. you can start to adapt here. But you're with your bubble, like you're with yeah, your friends, yeah. you're with people that are from home. It's like, I mean, for me at least, when I got like I got from the airport and got like dropped off in an apartment, and then it's like okay, fend for yourself. And like the where it hit me was when I went to the grocery store and everything's in German, and you're yeah, like, yeah. I can't <laughs> read anything. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like all right, sink or swim. 
But so, how many years did you do in Europe? How many? Like, when was your introduction to Europe? So my first time I came over was 2016, but I started cycling in 2015. So I'd only had like a year in Australia, and then I came three months in Belgium. How did that? How did you manage to get over to Europe after only riding for a year? Were you well, amazing? I, your first I well, I was uh, in triathlon first, and then. I switched over because I got like a, um, a stress fracture in my pelvis from running. So I, the end of 2014, I started like riding more. Then the start of 2015, I was just like, ah, oh, screw it. Like, I'm just going to move to cycling. And then I did like my first race. I beat Michael Storr in like a TT who was like third at the Worlds the previous year and under seven or under 19s. So then I was like, all right, I'm pretty good. So then I like focused on that for the year. And then by the end of the year, I made the world champs. So I went to Richmond in 2015 as an under 19. And that was my first race outside of Australia. And I just like really just like shit my pants. Like those guys like riding with their knuckles, like scraping the barriers. Cause you come from Oz and you race a peloton of like 30 guys or something. So that was like crazy to jump in the deep end. And then, yeah, after that I was like, next year I have to go to Europe like if I if I have to do this again like I'm going to quit cycling so I went to Europe the next year like paid my own way there and then just like actually like figured out what cycling was actually about there wait so you were forcing yourself to go to Europe because you had to learn how to do this yeah yeah like I was like I, you can't I can't like I hated it I just remember it was pissing rain and I was like cobbles on the on the world circuit and there was just guys like risking their life and I was like with how yeah, I am on the bike that's for me yeah, yeah I was like Normandy. I can't do this so like I have to go to Europe and like learn how to actually like ride in the peloton and that's like, a freaking good attitude to take yeah so <laughs> so I did that and then it, it really sucks. paid Give off me more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep going um yeah so then after that uh what did I do the, I stayed with the under-23 team, and that's how they noticed me, because I won a few races. Like, I won, like, under-19 Brabant Pell or something while I was in Belgium. So then they picked me up, and then I signed two years there. And I found with, it with Mitchelton Scott, okay, like, the yeah, under-23 yeah. team, but it was sort of like the... It was called the AIS World Tour Academy back then. Okay. And then the reason why we ended up racing in China is because Australian cycling pulled all the money off road cycling. Like, literally every dollar, they took it away and put it all into track. And we all knew that it was like a terrible idea. Um, so we had no funding anymore. So they went in search of like a Chinese sponsor. So in 2017 and 2018, I think I spent 45 and 65 days respectively in China for that year. So that we like? spent a lot of time there. And then after that, I left Mitchelton because the team finished, there was no more funding. And then I went to Evo Pro and that was like really like a, in the deep end, like no more yeah. support really anymore, no bubble. But that's like when I actually found like what made me happy and started going well. Well, the nice, okay, so I've, I've heard the horror stories from Evo and I'd love to hear <laughs> some of these stories, but um, at least like you got to like see like what European racing is, like, yeah. but it is a different sport from racing in North America or Australia. It's like, it's a different sport. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Completely different that way so at least you got to learn a little bit that way and then so evo was that the first year where it's like okay now you got to fend for yourself you don't have like a national federation kind of setting yourself up and yeah like... yeah well i basically we got told in september there was no mitchelton for the following year so we were all like scrambling for contracts and a few guys were okay because it, it was like one of the best development teams in the world like out of the two years we had 10 guys and eight of them went pro in the end or something who are some of the guys uh, Michael Storer, Lucas Hamilton, Jai Hindley, Callum Scottson. Um, I went pro. Um, 
Sam Jenner was in there. He hasn't made a pro yet. Um, who else do we have? Caden Groves was also in there. So it was, like, it was a real hit squad. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so Evo Pro was like the first time going over to Europe. And I'm like, if it, I said to myself, if I don't make it oh, pro by the, end of, uh, by the end of the year, then I'm like racking it. And that was about it. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I started like having some good results, but like it was still, I, it was nothing like Mitchelton. Like I remember like gluing tubules and stuff at like 1am before races and that sort of yeah. stuff. So it wasn't anything like the previous year. Yeah, it's you don't have the same support and stuff. But like, so you made that commitment that if you don't make it by the end of this year, you're gonna rack it. Yeah, well, it was either that year was sort of like if I don't make progress, I'm gonna rack it, and then the following year I still had one more year left as an under twenty three. So okay. I'd gone like a lot of the year in Evo Pro, not really finding my feet, and then mm. we hadn't unpacked our suitcases until July. So like, I moved over in February, and we were just on the road until July. Okay. And at one point, I was just like, I've had enough, like, got my own apartment in Girona for the last half of the year. And then I started going well. Like, I started, like, okay. getting on my feet and got a result. I think I won uh, a stage of Rhone Alps, like, the Queen stage of Rhone Alps. Uh, and then that was sort of, like, what sparked the, the move to um, the Lotto development team. Okay. And then it, that was at the start of that year. I was like, if I don't make it pro my last year under 23, I'm just going to rack it and go home. Like, I've got that many other things that, like, I'd want to do in my life that it's not... I don't want to just keep going until I'm, like, got nothing, you know? Sure. So, yeah, that was pretty much the journey there. Okay. So you came... When you signed up for Evo Pro, like, what was promised to you? Were they, like, going they give you, like, a place to live, like, a bike... Are they going to give you any money to live <laughs> off of? Like, how does this, um, what was the setup? Like, what's my contract? We all had contracts. It was actually written up by my manager um, yeah. as like a gift because they were both Irish. I think we had a team house, maybe like once a week Spanish lessons was on the contract as well. Um, food and stuff paid for and transport. Uh, I think they were the main ones, but like just like actually having a place to live was like definitely on the contract. But so then how do you actually, were they paying you anything? No, I think I used, I all my, used all my savings that I'd like built up in Mitchelton over the years. And okay. I think I almost went back down to zero. Okay. So in Mitchelton, you were being paid. Yeah, we got paid a, a wage. And then because we were with the hit squad, like we go to a race and you get 5,000 euro prize money every sure. race you go okay. to. So... That was actually okay. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, on Evo, we didn't get paid anything. Yeah, sure. And then, so by July, you said you went and just got your own place in, in, in Girona. Yeah, so I basically just put like all my savings into a place for the rest of the year and just like, I can't hack like living like place to place anymore. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> no, nice. Were you with your girlfriend at that time or by yourself? No, no, I was by myself. So it was, okay. it was real easy to do. And just Girona because everybody else was there? Uh, yeah, it was the easiest one, and it was like airport was close by, so it was, yeah. I didn't actually like Drona that much. I hated seeing people all the time, but sure. it was just like a good place to base myself out of okay. at that time, yeah. And you're in Nice now. Do you think you'll stay there for the rest of your career? Um, it's hard to say. Um, I like the mountains. Like, every time I come up here, I'm like, oh, I would love to move to the mountains. And then every mm -hmm. time I'm there, I'm like, oh, the sea's so good. So <laughs> I don't know what I'll do. Like, I'm I'm considering Andorra at the moment. Um, okay. But, yeah, it's hard to say. Cool. Awesome. Um, so 
There's so if there's so many other things like when you're saying to yourself like if I don't make it by the end of the time, uh, by the time I'm done under 23, I'm gonna rack it. Yeah. Do you know what you would have moved on to at the time? Um, like, I was you... gonna I was actually gonna sign up for the army and go like try and get into direct entry commandos. Um, so <laughs> okay. I had like I just like because. I mean, I love cycling, but I don't love it so much where I would just like literally spend all my money and not make it anywhere. Like the year that I first signed Lotto Devo, I had to sell my car to afford the flight over to Belgium and then COVID happened. So I like went into debt to fly Your back. car in Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like sold everything I had. And that was the time I was just like, if I don't make it at the end of the year, like I, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So that was like actually really liberating because I was like, oh, there's so much I would want to do. Like I'd go to the army or like... I don't know, wanted to like pursue some cooking, like be a chef or something. Or then I uh, also really interested in like engineering and physics. So I was like, oh, there's heaps that I could do. So like, if I don't make it, it, it is what it is. Did you ever go to university? No, I, when I started triathlon actually, or moved into cycling, um, I had like a scholarship lined up at a university to do engineering. And it was like the way up, like if I go to Europe, I can't do that and vice versa. And then I just ended up saying like, I'm going to Europe. Good for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it all in. Do you have, okay. I, I, I understand you can't say everything in front of Michael, but do you have any stories from like the year on Evo Pro? Just cause it's like everybody I've talked to that's been on that team or many teams like it. It's not the only one. They have some interesting stories of like what it really, it's slumming it. Yeah, well, to start off, it was the, the year of my career that like actually got me the enjoyment back into cycling and the program there was unreal. So like I owe them really a lot for that, but it's also given me like some of the funniest moments that I've ever had in cycling. Like I remember one time we finished Breton, Tour de Breton and it was like four, four or five p.m. or something, and I'm on whereabouts, so like you got to have your location, mm -hmm. everything. And we had no hotel that night, so we basically just started driving back to the team house that we had in Belgium. It was like twelve hours away, yeah. just on the road the whole night. Like guys, just absolutely cross-eyed driving home. Finally, get there get into the team house and it's like a real like tiny little cabin thing with like ridden with bed bugs. So what we had to do is we'd like go to the bar after every race and we'd go have like one or two beers enough to get buzzed and then go back because like you couldn't sleep unless you're a little bit drunk because the bed bugs are all biting you. So we're, well, a lot of the nights we were going to bed like a little bit hammered. So we did that for a little bit. And then one day like I was in the shower at this team house and I was just like, oh, it's like, this sponge is so weird. Like there's this sponge in the shower. It's been there for like months now. And I remember like I just tripped over it one day and it was a mushroom like growing in the shower <laughs> of this team house. And then the other funny part of the team house was the toilet was like not an actual closet. It was like a, a cupboard with like bifold glass doors with like a bit of tint on them that had been converted to a toilet. So you had no privacy there. It was tiny. Like, guy just left it a mess, and it was just, yeah, it was, that part was really funny. <laughs> That's incredible. It's like the full college experience with a bunch of guys that don't know how to take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, like, on top of that, you, like, the travel to the races was really touch and go. So we'd have, like, a rental van that the rider would, like, pick up and pay for at the other end, and then there wouldn't be enough seats, so one rider would have to, like, lay in the equipment on the back of the van. <laughs> and I remember distinctly we were on the way to Antwerp Port Epic 
there were one point one in Belgium. And we got to the airport and there was no room for me in the cabin. So I like went into the back, but I was super tired because I'd spent like that afternoon or the night before up until like 1am gluing tubulars that we were going to race on. So I was really like really tired and then hopped in the back and just fell asleep like on the floor of the van and then like arrive at the race hotel and then just like get stuck in. That's incredible, man. So it's a little bit different moving up to the World Tour, right? Eh? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really different. Like even moving back to Lotto, it really made me like appreciate what we had on Mitchelton at the time as sure. well that I didn't really appreciate as much, I guess. Yeah. But at the same time, like as some of the most fun I've ever had in Europe, like just kicking around like heaps of guys, no visas, just like, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was really, really <laughs> You get enough fun. stamps in your passport and they're like, okay, I don't think they can figure <laughs> it out now. Yeah, actually though. So it, yeah, it was really good fun. It's like, wait, how many days have you been here? Oh, like uh, 24? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It says you got here in February. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I went back and oh, they must have forgot to stamp it or something. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it was really good fun. But yeah, some really hard times. Like we were racing against like really dialed teams. We were racing against Lotto Devo as well. Like good equipment, good everything. And we we're racing yeah. on guy. We we, hit, we only had a front brake for the whole year as well because the back brake was like the geometry of the frame and the cable meant that like when you pulled the back brake, it would just seize. Sure. So we had to just like take the back brake off. So we just raced the whole year with a front brake. <laughs> That's incredible. I had that last year We because we had a Shimano hydraulic disc brake stuff. And for whatever reason, there was a, a warranty issue with the rear brake calipers that the seal would just leak fluid. So you would start <laughs> thinking you have two brakes and then you'd grab the back brake and then suddenly it'd just be gone. And you're like trying to position oh. with one brake and you're like, yeah, yeah. man, I'm risking my life here. It's on rubbish, this. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's funny though. And then like when you actually, so of course, like you have like the good development teams like Lotto, yeah. Mitchelton, stuff like that. And then you have some of like the more fun times on the other yeah, teams. Yeah. And then you go up to the world tour and like suddenly you have so many resources and like you have like a chef, a nutritionist, all the coaches and stuff. Yeah. What were like some of the biggest changes that you had like, or the things that you noticed like that you just had access to, whether it's doing aero testing or having someone tell you about your diet or any of this stuff? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is the biggest change wasn't any of that. It was that you, you didn't feel like you were being judged anymore. Like in the under 23 ranks, Mitchelton in particular, everything was like monitored and it was like, you could feel them like picking the cream from the crop there. Like it was just like the, only the best guys made it. Whereas when you're in the world tour, it wasn't like we're picking anymore. It was like, you've been picked. So what can we do to make you the best rider you can be? And that was a huge difference because on Mitchelton, like, I was just always questioning whether what I was doing was right. Whereas when you're like in Lotto and you've made it, then you've got all these people to say like, this is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And this is like, what's going to make you better. Huh. So it's, it's rather than selecting, it's more supporting you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like the mentality shift as opposed to like aero testing or whatever. Like that was the biggest one sure. difference for me was that like, I actually felt like I was being supported as opposed to like, trying to be like yeah pick me like i've yeah. got what it takes sort of thing sure is there any like that cool stuff though like is there anything that you've tried that has made a bit like speaking for myself for example like trying all the crazy stuff whether it's normatex altitude tents sauna any of this stuff like for me the biggest one is like i got to do it last year for the first time was go to altitude yeah and i came down and it's like like you were saying with china it's like you can't feel your legs you're like yeah, yeah. this is amazing is there anything like that stood out for you that you've probably the diet front of things like just eating so much food like that's that's the biggest one i mean as an under 23 i was always like borderline like 
trying to eat as little as I possibly could to like be light but then like you get into the pro ranks and you have to eat enough like just to survive the races and I think that's what like the fueling strategy is on that side of things would be the biggest difference is like having the resources to be like we need like x amount of carbs every hour and like it just gets done and you don't have to think about it when you go to training is do you just what do you how do you eat enough to get that like uh, you can't just eat the team's sports sponsor food for forever well we you? have um we have so we have ot we have like really high carb drink it's like just an electrolyte one we've got 40 grams per bottle and i right. drink a heap because i sweat a lot so there's already 80 there and then if i have one bar or like a handful of gummy bears or something i'm at 120 okay. so i can train on 120 like every day almost okay so that's the biggest thing yeah huh. bread and butter training session is there anything that you love like just one that you, just gets you going all the time i gotta think like you're trying to make the tour this year that's why i asked you before like was that the highest level you ever got to you're trying to make the tour you get to a super high level you do the dauphine and the numbers you posted there if and again anyone should go watch your youtube channel this is pretty amazing to see that you go back up to altitude you're busting your ass trying to make the tour team here like what are some of the things you were doing then uh to be honest my bread and butter session was like trying to polarize my training more like the biggest mistake i made was trying to be every day like the biggest watts i could when i was under 23 and then when i made it pro it was like the difference was the coaching was like you're either going flat out or you're not and okay. like the in-between was where i always sort of screwed myself like going way too hard all day so when I went from Dauphiné to altitude, like I went up and I had like five days or something. I just did like an hour a day just recovering. And that's like, I just spent my time like trying to maximize my recovery as opposed to like maximize how hard I can possibly go, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was just like making sure I slept well, making sure I ate enough to recover and then yeah, just resting enough and like listening to my body. And that was the biggest sort of one. But yeah, apart from that, I didn't really have to like, built myself when i got back from dauphine for altitude like i'd done so much work already before and like i said to them like i'm flying like i'm the best i've ever been so it's not like i was panicking really at that point yeah okay and then, do you have any other hobbies and stuff that you do to like to try to take like to fill a rest day like to try to take your mind off of um, cycling oh i like like skiing uh do a bit of running sometimes hiking do some camping i okay. love cooking Go for a bit of an skate occasionally. A what? A skate. Like on ice? No, no, a skateboard. Oh, skateboard, okay, yeah, cool. I go for a bit of a skate sometimes. Um, love driving. Um, <laughs> what else? There's a lot there, but <laughs> I've, I've got awesome. my time for. Like, if I, if I want to do something during the day, I just do it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You like cars? Yeah, I do. Do you have any, have you ever had any cool ones? I've had the same car in Oz and the same car here. So I've got a, a 1998 uh, Clio Sport, a 172. I don't know that one. I don't know uh, it's back home. It's, it's like a tiny little hatchback, two okay. door. It's like 185 horsepower. It's like 90, 950 kilos or something. So it just okay. like goes like the clappers. But <laughs> it's just like, it's one of those cars where it's like a bit of a shitbox, but it's so much fun. Um, <laughs> And, like, I always thought, like, I'd get a nice car, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I hop in it, like, makes me smile, rip yeah. it around town, and that's about enough. That's awesome. I mean, I did the first couple, the first three years I was in Europe, I didn't have a car. And yeah. And like, had to, like, go get the groceries in your backpack in the rain after training. Yeah. Any yeah. car, you just smile so much. Like, yeah. I get in my car now, 
cheap little Audi and it's wonderful. It's That's a Lamborghini it? to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm dry, I'm warm, I don't have to pedal this yeah. thing. It's great. It could be a Flintstone car for all yeah, I care. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, man, I think that's about all I have. I mean, here's some fun ones. Um, who's the most talented rider you've ever been, like, not that you've heard of, but like that you've been close to that you've seen, like the biggest talent? That's a really hard one, actually. Like just someone who just seems to just pull off the most insane. Probably efforts. actually Podjaka because he, we raced him as an under 23 team. And I remember thinking, like, he, as an under-23, we'd race him and our guys were still winning. Like, he was coming in, like, around top 10. And then when I moved to Evo Pro, I sort of, like, stopped thinking about the whole under-23 scene because I was like, oh, doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. And then he just, like, took off and, yeah, like, it's, like, the rest is history now. But, like, he has to be the one. Like, there's not really any other guys that I know that have just, like, become that from from like being just like a top 10 in any race sort of guy. Because you look at how hard everybody's working, like everybody's doing all the details and just to see that guy just walk away like a motorcycle. Yeah. Like whenever he wants to go, it's just like, all right, ciao. Yeah, we'll, we'll race for a second. Yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> That's great. And then flip side of that, who's the, if you have to think of like the hard person, you can't say yourself, hardest worker, person that's most focused, like person like most guys on the team thing is a little bit crazy because it's just a little bit too dedicated. In a positive way, it's, it's a yeah, good thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I don't know, because it's hard when you don't see a lot of the guys training. Like, we don't really yeah. live together, but... And everyone tries to play it down when they're with each other a little bit. Is there anyone that stands out to you? I don't think there is, really. I think, I, I think at this level, there's, like... I tried to have this argument with my girlfriend that I thought I just, like, worked really, really hard and that, like, that wasn't so much genetics at play, but, like... The longer that I've been in the, like pro cycling, I'm like it's a lot of genetics and a bit of hard work there. So I think like I think everyone on the team that I, and most of the guys that I know, everyone's like just flat out just trying to be at the level to race, you know. Sure. So there's not really anyone that really stands out to me like that. Okay. Is there anything like crazy that you've ever come up with to try to get faster or stronger? Like you know, like ah, I got the idea. I'm gonna do this, and it's gonna make me better. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, drag a tire behind my bike or something. <laughs> no, it, it was really just like tr trying to train harder and harder and harder. And like, was there like something like, I know I'm going to train twice a day or I'm going to. Oh, yeah, I definitely something. went through those periods, like trying to train twice a day, like eat as little as possible. Like, sure. Yeah. It's, it was a very slippery slope that direction. And it just didn't work. It just went too far. No, yeah, way too far. Like, when I was on Mitchelton, I think I was like 60, 68 kilos or something. I'm like 74 now. So okay. it was yeah, it was a massive difference for me. Sure. And do you know what kind of rider you want to be? No, not really. Not <laughs> Maybe ask me in three or four years. But yeah, sure. I think even the period that I've become pro now, like racing changing so much where it's just getting so, so hard all the time. And I think... You, a lot of guys that were already pro in the team said that during COVID, like the level just picked up so much because guys were really nailing their training as opposed to like training in between races. Like they could really like optimize everything. And I think since like that 2020 period where COVID started, like it's just gone crazy. So I have a theory on this and I'd love to know, like, let me know if you think this is whack or not. But so like you see like exactly what you said, like after 2020 racing just went berserk. Yeah. And I think there's two things that happened there. One, and I've never done a Zwift race, but like people are doing these Zwift races where 
you, apparently you just have to like go pin it right from the start yeah. to go. And so it's like, okay, you take doing these two hour races where guys are just going like crazy, breaking yeah. all their power records doing that. You come out of that and do it. But the second one, the big one, I think, is that now you have like sports science, like you go through all these different phases of like new technology that comes out. And I think the big one is right around that time, I think like 2019 or so is when you got like drinks like Morton and stuff came out where people started realizing like it's not about like being an efficient fat burner and stuff. It's like, no, 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 we just made the gas lines on the engine way bigger. Yeah, you can yeah. just dump carbs in and you can just go bananas right from the start where now instead of having 40 grams of carbs an hour, guys are trying to have like 120 grams. And so you can just go flat out for four hours. It is interesting. Um, I think to a degree you're right because every year that I've like, on Mitchelton, we had a sports scientist as well as an under-23 team, and it was always, like, try and eat 60 grams an hour, and then the following year, like, try and eat 70, the following yeah. year, 80. So, yeah, I think you're right on that front. Like, it's just all about eating as much as you possibly can now, almost. Um, but I think that's still... I think that's the biggest advancement probably in the last 10 years is the nutrition, yeah. but I still don't think that makes up for things. I think guys yeah. really just, like, literally had nothing else to do during COVID, so they just, like, trained the house down. Okay. And that was it, really. Like, I, I've spoken to heaps of guys about it, and they just said, like, they came back from COVID and the racing level was just so high. Sure. So, yeah, I think, mate, yeah, it's probably down to a bit of nutrition and sports science, but I think just, like, people just, like, really started properly, sure. like, just digging into the training because they couldn't do anything else. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Cool, man. Well, that's all I got for questions. Thanks for doing this. No worries, <laughs> man. That's good fun. Yeah, for sure.